0: well it's great to be with you isn't god good on this holiday weekend july 3rd can you believe it those of you who live in bakersfield those of you online and you don't live in bakersfield today is paradise okay just want you to know we uh we i know what it's like when it gets a little cooler outside everybody in bakersfield just goes oh it's so wonderful you know and then when it gets hot we get cranky around here (laughs) So, But it's, uh, it's good to be there. Thanks for coming out this morning. I know that a lot of our folks are traveling this weekend and, and vacationing and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, been good. Family camp is this week, starts on Tuesday. And Jane and I and Weston are going to go to family camp for the first time. So... Um, that should be an experience. We're not big campers, but we're gonna go. Yeehaw! <laughs> My idea of camping is the Marriott, on a, you know, just kind of you know, with all the amenities. <laughs> but uh, we were we 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 haven't had family camp in a few years because of COVID, and finally that's happening again. And we've heard so much about it when bef- before we even became your pastor. Um, you know, the big talk was family camp. It was such a great experience. So. We're looking forward. The expectation is really, really high. Okay, so guess what happens when your expectations are high? <laughs> I always said this. Uh, there's has nothing to do with anything. But, um, you know, if you manage your expectations, you manage your frustrations. Let me say it again. You manage your expectations, you manage your frustrations. If you have the wrong expectations, you're going to have lots of frustrations in your life. And uh, so, for example, if you're going to fly today anywhere, expect for your plane to be canceled. Okay, just expect it. Expect that you're going to spend the night in the airport, and then if it doesn't happen, you're going to be happy. Praise God. Amen. So just manage your expectations. Hey, I gave you a report of Faith Forward. I didn't say a couple of things in my uh, little video that, uh, that I got. By the way, if you haven't watched it, Go to your email, go to your spam box or whatever. There should be a video from me just about uh, about Faith Forward. Um, we are actually going to do, we've added a couple of things that we're going to do in our projects. We are actually going to replace all of our house lights. If you haven't figured it out or not, it's a pretty dark space when you walk in here. Okay, And um, so we're going to get some, some better lights that we can... We can make it brighter and we can also reduce the light at different points in the service. When that movable wall is there, all of that light that we kind of get, that kind of spills into this room, will be gone. So it's going to be important that we have a better lighting system. So we're working on that and um, we're upgrading all of our stage lighting to go to LD, L, L, LEDs, whatever, yeah. Be much better. So we've got some on the on the catwalk up there. You've got some. We've got some gigantic lights that are now pointing at me. If I look up, it's really bright. They're 700 watt machines. I mean, these babies are. They run hot. I mean, you can't even touch them. Okay, and they are they're they're about as old as Lita May Rhodes. And um, they've been around a long time. And um, so we're going to do some upgrades around here in our lighting system. So praise God. Here's the good news. I was in Maryland uh, a few weeks ago, about six weeks ago now, doing a wedding. And I was there with a friend of mine and, uh, who was part of my church back there. And uh, we were talking. And he said, hey, you got any projects going on at Olive Knolls that you, that, that you want to get done? And uh, it kind of caught me off guard. So I said, well, yeah, we, want to re- we really need to upgrade our house, our stage lighting and our house lighting. He goes, well, how much is that going to be? Well, I said, for the stage lighting, it's about $90,000. And he said, well, okay, I'll give you $45,000. I was like, what? <laughs> so uh, he donated $45,000 to our church, a guy who lives in Maryland so that uh, we could upgrade our stage lighting. And then we got another donation that matched it. So, $90,000, God provides. Praise the Lord, amen. So we give God thanks for that. And um, so, God is at work. So thank you so very much, amen. Now, I gotta get going, because I got a lot to say in a little time. We're in the book of Romans. Take your Bible, let's go to Romans chapter five today we're gonna talk about a tale of two atoms. all right? We're gonna talk about a tale of two atoms. You say, what kind of atoms are we talking about? We're talking about Adam number one, which was Adam in Genesis one, and Adam number two, which is Jesus Christ, all right? And Paul uh, compares and contrasts these two atoms for us and really has some things to say to us. Now, as I said in my, my Friday video to you, I'll be honest with you. When I got to this passage, I was like, "Lord, can I just skip over this? Can we just move on to chapter six? You know, because it's it's really it's you know it's just one of those things." And and I, and the Lord said, "You said you were going to go through every verse. Okay, all right. So here we are: Romans chapter twelve, verses uh, chapter five, verses twelve through twenty-one. It is a um, it is it is a passage of scripture. I'll just tell you that um, when you read it for the first time, if you, did, if you did what I asked you to do and you read it ahead of time, you already read it and it goes, oh, what? What? What is he saying? You'd have to almost go back and read it again, and you'd have to almost go back and read it three or four times and slowly to kind of digest what Paul is saying. As, as one commentator, my favorite commentator, the N.T. Wright says, it's like Paul wrote this portion of Scripture fast, and he only wrote one word for every four he should have used. Let me say that again. He wrote one word for every four he should have used. In other words, he could have expanded a little bit more, given a little more explanation to exactly what paul what Paul had in his mind, you know, because he he, he, he says something so compact here. this is like deep doctrinal theological important things he says here in Romans 5 12 through 21 that um that most theologians have 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 digested and dissected this these verses down to the nth degree down to the participles down to the the nouns the verbs what he said what he didn't say I mean it's just been it's been it's been debated down through time and um, most preachers we'll skip over this when they preach on Sunday morning because it's heavy on doctrine and light on application. Get that? It's for the semin- some would say it's for the seminary nerds. It's not for the common folks who just says, "Give me something I can live on tomorrow morning." Okay? So that's where we are today, just the morning. So I want you to put on your theological thinking caps today. I want you to Buckle your belts, and I want you to focus in. This is not a message that you can text, scan Facebook, and listen to the sermon at the same time. Okay? You can't do that. Or you will be lost. All right? If those are online, focus in. Get rid of all the distractions, and let's just focus on God's Word. All right? So let's read together. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12, reading down to the end of the chapter. Stand with me one more time, and let's read together. Therefore, there's another therefore. <laughs> just as sin entered the world, and there's where we are, by the way. We're in Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Wow. But the gift is not like the trespass. If many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently... Just as the result of one trespass was the condemnation for all men, so also as the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death... So, also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, help me <laughs> and help us that we might hear from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, <clears throat> How many of you, uh, I love my iPad. One of the things I love is the iPad. It's a, it's a wonderful device. It's my favorite device of all. And um, if, you, if you have an iPad or an iPhone or something like that, you know that um, you, can go to a, you can go to a picture on your iPad and you can do things like this. Okay? Where you can you can almost you can almost zoom in and get the minute little detail of a picture, right on your screen, and um, so I love the pinch f- feature on the iPad. And you can zoom out. Isn't that a nice picture of my wife and daughter? They are beautiful. So, um, but it's really cool. And what Paul is doing here is that Paul in chapter five last week we talked about the benefits the benefits of justification. And Paul zoomed in on, on what the benefits you have. And remember the benefits you have in justification is you are that you are you have peace with God you have access to the grace of God 24-7, and that you have this hope that is eternal and present all at the same time where we rejoice in our sufferings. It was, it's a pretty cool thing. He really gets down. He's almost testifying as he's, as he's writing the word there. And then in verse number 12, it's like Paul goes from, from zooming in to zooming out. He goes from, from talking about the personal experience of somebody who has been justified by faith and all of a sudden he zooms out and he's looking at, he's like he's, like he's on the moon looking back at earth. And you really can't make a distinguish of towns, of particular places and roads, but you just see the, the big outline, the big picture of what's going on here. And this is exactly what Paul's doing. He's zooming out in a wide scope here. And he's gonna look at these two monumental figures. Adam, the first Adam, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And he's talking about two different experiences when it comes to living in those two realms. All of us are children of Adam. Before you were your particular nationality, if you were, as Paul distinguishes mostly in the book of Romans, Jews and Gentiles, okay? And we've talked about those two different categories, male and female. But before any of those categories were there, you were human. Amen? You are human. No matter what your color of your skin is, no matter what your nationality is, no matter what your language is, all of us have one thing in common. We are all descendants of Adam. We're descendants of, of and, and the word Adam means human. It means to be human. And so, so Paul begins to categorize this, and he's zooming out, and he's looking at this. And he's going to talk about what does it mean to really be under the, under the, um, the influence of, of Adam and the, under the influence of Christ. And so so the zooming in piece. How many of you are Star Wars fans? Any Star Wars fans in the lab? All right, there's a few Star Wars fans, you know. If you, uh, one of my very first movies when I was a kid, actually this was the second movie I ever went to. The very first movie I ever saw as a kid was... Um, Uh, Smokey and the Bandit. You remember Smokey and the Bandit? You know, good old Burt Reynolds, you know, and Sally Fields, you know. I thought that was the greatest movie ever, you know. It was so great. The second movie I ever saw as a kid was Star Wars back in 1979, okay. That was when the original Star Wars came out. And, And Star Wars is all about the tale of two Skywalkers the tale of two Skywalkers, the tale of Luke Skywalker, and, and the other one is the scale of Anakin who becomes Darth Vader, and he is, the, he is the dark side. And you've got the dark side and the light. You've got the tale of these two realms in the, in the story of Star Wars. And um, the dark side brings death, destruction, and chaos in the entire galaxy. If you know the story of, of of Star Wars, You know which I don't know. I mean, there's umpteen million Star Wars shows these days. I, I've kind of lost track of them all. And then the se- second Skywalker faced the same temptation that the first Skywalker faced yet he did not give in to it he was faithful and obedient to the Jedi and he was a good egg you know he was a good guy he did good things you know and that's the fight between good and equal and uh, George Lucas who's the writer uh, said in the central theme of the episodes four through six was the redemption of Anakin the first Skywalker by Luke who is the second Skywalker you know, he's really using some biblical themes there. Some biblical themes that are found in that great movie. Well, that's exactly what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. He's looking at these grand thematic ideas of, of condemnation, of death, of guilt, of shame and living in that realm from the versus the, uh, the, the picture of life and breath and eternity and peace and hope and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. It's these two giant pieces that Paul begins to describe to us to help us understand what it really means. And here's, here's probably the, the, the only nugget I'm gonna give you that's practical. Which realm are you living in? Are you living in the realm of darkness and despair and and guilt and shame? Or are you living in the realm of life and breath and forgiveness and grace and peace that God gives to us through Jesus Christ? Which one are you living in? I even know some Christians who say they believe in Jesus Christ who still are living with guilt and shame. Still live under, that, under, the, under the idea that they are fallen and that they are wicked and that they are living in condemnation. You don't have to live that way anymore. Paul's saying to us, there's something much better. And so as we look at this together today, I hope and pray that it will help you to live in the right way. The first Adam, by the way, is Adam. Humanity lives under guilt and shame, lives under condemnation. You'll notice there in the, in the very first verse, verse 12, Paul says this, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, by the way, it's interesting to me, he doesn't identify the one man until a little later in the verse. It's like, hey, could you tell us who you're talking about? You know, he makes the assumption, you know, you know, through one man and death through sin in this death came to all men because all sin. And so Paul makes it very clear that Adam, he's the first man that was created. He is in many ways like the second Adam in the sense that in his initial creation, he was without sin, he was perfect, he was placed in a perfect garden. And they had incredible amounts of freedom, except they had one command that was, do not touch of the tree of knowledge. That's the only thing you can't do. You can do anything else. And there was complete freedom. And Adam was designed to live forever. He was designed never to face death. And we know the story because... But Paul doesn't tell us the story. He assumes that that's why there's only one word for four or five that he could tell us. He could have said, oh, by the way, remember the story back in Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve and the story of the Garden of Eden? He doesn't tell us any of those things. He just, he just kind of runs through this really quick. But I want you to see the connection here between death and sin. Really important for you to see that. The reason you die is because we are sinners and live in a fallen world. The reason we have old age, the reason we have sickness, the reason we have war, the reason we have all of the evil things goes back to what happened in the garden. People want to say, what's the reason? Why is all this thing for them? Because human beings rebelled against God, rebelled against His, his wonderful plan, That he wanted for all of us. And there is a connection between death and sin. It says sin entered the world. And death through sin. Death through sin. Death came to all men. Because all sinned. Wherever you see sin. You see death. Wherever you see sin. There's death of relationships, there's death of a of, of person's identity, there's death in hospitals, there's physical death, relational death, there's, <coughs> there's spiritual death. And when death happened, there was separation of God, that was spiritual death that happened to human beings, but there was also physical death that happens. And that's why the Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead, his, the final victory was overcome. And who is the final victory? Death was slayed. Where is your sting? It's gone. We know our hope is in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a connection there that Paul is trying to share with us there. He goes on to say, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Now, hang on to that. I'm going to get to this at the last point I'm going to make, okay? We're going to come back to verse number 13. But Paul says, before there was even the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses, before any of that happened, there was sin, Sin was not just happened after the law. Sin was there before the law. Why? Because man fell. And then in verse number 14, he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Now, I find it interesting as, as a studier or a student of God's word that Paul, all the way through Romans, Romans so far, has talked about Abraham Remember in Abraham chapter 4, he talked about Abraham as the example of faith. He's talked about David. okay. But but here he goes all the way back to Adam. And this is the first time that he says he talks about a time period. Remember, $100,000 review here. A time period, Adam to Moses. What happens between Adam and Moses? What are some of the events that happen between Adam and Moses? We'd have to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, all the way through chapter probably 20. There are a lot of things that happen, but big things in humanity. Remember, God was so grieved that he made the, they made the country, because, made the world because it was so wicked that he brought the flood. Remember, God was so grieved because man began to build a tower to themselves that he confused the languages and divided people up. Remember, they were were wicked. They fell into slavery. I mean, so much happened during this time period. But death reigned during that period in time. Even over those who, now catch this, did not sin by breaking a command. Remember, the law wasn't given yet. And the only person that broke the command was the command, don't touch the tree. So God said, don't touch the tree, Adam. What does Adam do? As did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. In other words, Adam is an example of the fallen human race. He is a picture of you and me. He is a picture of of what humans do. when When we have something that we know we shouldn't do, and God says, don't do it, guess what humans do? By the way, if you don't believe that, I believe that every single one of you need to go and serve in our preschool nursery ministry. Okay? We need some volunteers there, by the way. We need some folks who love on our little ones. I'm I'm, I'm serious about that. We really do. We need some consistent folks who say, I'm going to care for two-year-olds, love on two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. We really do need that. But if you really wanna determine whether human beings are falling after the pattern of Adam, just go hang out with preschoolers. You will hear words like this, I, me, mine, no. Over and over and over and over again. Because human beings, by and large, before you actually break a commandment, you are a sinner. You are a sinner by nature. You actually have the nature of sin because death is reigning. And where there is death, there is sin. And even before the law of God came into be, God says there was already sin everywhere. Even though people didn't recognize that they were sinning, they were sinning. And as we learn in the very end, God brought the law not to bring life, but to bring death. To help them to see their sin in their life. And so, we see that. A- ade- 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 ad... Jan, say that word for me, would you? Ademic, thank you. Ademic depravity, that's what this is called, is all sin has its roots going back to the first Adam. All segments of Christianity teach the doctrine of original sin. Every segment of Christianity. Now, this is, this is big for us, Okay. I want to talk about big, big, big C picture. Not little C, but big C. There's all different types of Christian denominations. There's all different theological traditions. There's Eastern Orthodox. There's the Western Church. There's Evangelical Protestantism. There's mainline Christian churches. There's Catholics and Protestants. There's Charismatics. There's, you name it, there's all kinds of different flavors when it comes to the body of Christ. There is one doctrine that is unified across all theological spectrums, and it's the doctrine of original sin. Everybody has come to an agreement that human beings are depraved, that we are bent on pleasing ourselves, and that by nature we are sinners. That's what it means to be original sin. This doctrine of original sin, which is foundational to our faith, goes all the way back to Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14. This is the verses that the theologians debated over, that those who who study this and, and work on this and try to help us to understand what it really means for us today, this is where it comes from. It's so important for us to understand that. What is original sin? I gave you a definition in your notes. I'm going to read it to you. Are you ready? I remember this is our th- bi- theological bit boys. You are in seminary today. Welcome. Original sin refers to a state of sin in us. Due to that original act of sin on Adam's part. The term original sin refers to Adam's sin of disobedience... In eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and its effect upon us, upon the rest of the human race. Original sin can be defined as the moral corruption we possess as the consequence of Adam's sin. Resulting in a sinful disposition manifesting itself in the habitual sinful behavior. The doctrine of original sin focused particularly on its effects on our internal nature and our standing before God. So when you are born into this world, you are born separated from God. You are born with a nature, internal nature, that is seeking to please yourself. Not pleasing God. You're bent is towards evil, not towards righteousness and holiness. And therefore our nature is one that needs to be redeemed. We need to be saved, we need to be justified, we need to be sanctified, we need to be changed from the inside out. But by nature, this is the state of our our being. This all goes back to a guy named Augustus, Gusta of Hippo. He lived from the year 354 to the year 430. This is early Christianity. This is is someone who is considered by the Catholic Church a saint of the church. And Augustine was the one who began to identify, clarify, and define what original sin was all about. I remember a story of Augustine. It says he was a little boy. He was rem- reminding himself of, of what it was like, and he said, "He said we were we were hanging. I was hanging out with my friends as teenagers, and we were we were just kind of living in you know in our, in our vernacular in the neighborhood. You know, he was just hanging out, and there was a pear tree in somebody else's plantation or yard or whatever." And for some reason they decided, hey, let's go climb the pear tree and take all the pears off the tree even though they're not ready to be picked. And they pulled them all down, and they didn't even like them. They started throwing them at each other. And that night he started to feel guilty about what he had done and why he had done it, and he was remembering back and he was saying that was the nature that said I didn't care what the owner thought I didn't care what other people thought all I cared was myself and all I was trying to do was please myself. Now that might sound like a s- stupid illustration a pear tree but every one of us in this room has done things that you've looked back and say, why in the world did I even do it? Why did I participate in that? How come I acted that way? What what drove me to that behavior? The behavior has a root, and the root is, is a virus of the human nature that is bent on pleasing itself. And what Christ did on the cross wasn't just to forgive you of your sins, your acts, your behavior. He also came to set you free from a nature going to get to that by the way in six seven and eight of Romans it's going to help us understand that in a powerful way so one of the questions you might ask is how is original sin transmitted in other words if it started with Adam why is it in me and how did it get in me and if and I've heard people say this well that's not fair I wasn't there in the garden How come I get the blame? How come I get the nature? How come I have to live with the consequences of my ancestors, if you want to look at it that way? If we all go back to Adam, how is original sin transmitted? There are two major theories, theological theories that have talked about this. Now, this is what theologians do. They sit in their ivory towers and they ask the question, Well, if this is true, then this, and then how, and why, and where, and they dig it into it, and there are books that are written on this kind of stuff, but it falls into these two major categories. The first one is the realistic theory. The realistic theory was a theory that says humans are somehow racially bound up with and in Adam to such an extent that we actually sin when he did. So the, the, the realistic theory says this. Basically, here's, here's my interpretation of it. If you were Adam, you would have done the same thing. So you are just as guilty as Adam is. And that when you were there, when Adam was there, you were there also. And you are just as responsible for your nature as Adam is responsible for your nature. And you are depraved. You are wicked. You are bent on pleasing yourself. And you deserve, the the ultimate extreme of this is you deserve hell even before you actually sin. You actually deserve the wrath of God because you are part of humanity that is under judgment of God. Now, you could sit here and say, I don't like that theory. I don't either. Okay? The second theory is this one, the representative theory. This is the view that each person in the world, the whole human race, comes into the world in a state of sinfulness because... Adam has been chosen as a representative, and because a representative sinned against God. So this is like a a federal kind of theory. The leader who represents all of the people sinned against God. So by, by, by association that you are connected, that you are human you are also guilty of the same thing Adam was. You weren't actually there, but you are in association with him. People today will sometimes say, oh, you're part of that group. Oh, you're part of that nationality. Oh, you're part of that country. Oh, you're part of that. And they will get blamed for things that they didn't personally do. But because they're in the, in the country or the team or the category, they find that they also have guilt on their hands. That's what happens. That's why one of the things you know, as Americans we have a hard time with is we're very individualistic. It's all about me. And about what I do and what about me. But as in other countries, they don't view it as individuals. We, they talk about more we and us. And the Bible is much more of a we and us kind of thing. You are either, You are either Jews or Gentiles. You are either saved or unsaved. You're either part of the church or not part of the church. You're either of Adam or of the second Adam. So this is what original sin is, okay? I don't know what the theory, I don't know. Here's what I do know. Sin is not transmitted like your genes are. It's not like a DNA. It's not a substance. It's not biology. It's not like, you know... You, 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 a man and a woman have sex together and they have a baby and then that baby is born and, you know, their characteristics are in that child. That, that's not the way it's transmitted. It's not a biological transmission. It's a much more of a spiritual trans, trans, tra, transmission. Human beings, by and large, are sinful. We can all see the effects of that. And no one can say they are without sin. Now, how does this matter? A couple of things that this applies to, by the way. Um, it doesn't say this in scripture, but we extrapolate this. For example, we believe that, for example, that um, a baby, if a baby dies, let's say at a very young age, one or two, three or four, whatever, and they are not yet to the age of accountability. They are fallen, they are sinful, yet they have not They have not become aware of their sinfulness. We believe that the grace of God leads that baby to heaven. Amen? That baby, because of the grace of God and what Christ did on the cross, the second Adam, which is greater, overcomes the inbred sin. Okay? For some of our adults who have mental challenges inability to understand and grow, inability to understand spiritual things. Maybe they they are an adult, but they only have a mind that is of a three- or four-year-old, or a five- or six-year-old, or whatever it might be. We believe that the grace of God covers their inbred sin. And they may not even be able to recognize their behavior as sin. But they're sinful, but the grace of God handles those things. Okay, so that's really important for us to just kind of talk about here. All right, second Adam. Wow. The second Adam is Jesus Christ. Humanity lives under grace. Now catch this. Paul then in verse number 15, remember 12, 13, and 14 is about the first Adam and about the original sin. Now Paul is going to switch and he's going to go to a big, huge thing and he's going to make a comparison now to to the second Adam, which is Jesus. But the gift is not like the trespass. What is the gift? The gift is his son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us on the cross. That's the gift. It is not like the trespass. What is the trespass? Interesting that Paul changes words here. He doesn't say the gift is not like the sin. The gift is not like the death. He says the gift is not like the trespass. A trespass is a particular act of sin. So Adam sinned or trespassed against God when he took of the tree, of the knowledge of fruit, of the the fruit of, uh, You, you got it. Um, So that's the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, who is the one man? That's Adam, okay? How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, who is this one man? Jesus. Notice that Paul doesn't tell us that yet, okay? Okay? It's like he makes the assumption here. It's like, oh, Paul, did you forget to tell us who the one man is? Jesus Christ, he finally says it, overflow to the many. And so Paul begins to use this term here. I want you to catch this term. How much more? How much more? How much more? He introduces that phrase in the beginning of chapter 5 when he talked about the benefits of the grace of God in your life. How much more did Jesus do for you? How much more did he give your life? And so he's describing, he's comparing Adam's, the first Adam's trespass to the righteous act of Jesus that gives us the gift. What did Adam do, the first Adam? He did what God told him not to do. What did the second Adam do? He died on a cross for us. Talk about a big comparison, okay? Both of them were without sin. Both of them are created by God. Both of them are unique, Both of them have massive effects upon all of humanity. Because all of us are affected by the first Adam. All of us can be affected by the second Adam. Did you catch that? Okay. He says again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift of God followed many trespasses and brought justification and so when jesus christ the second adam dies on the cross he dies not for one man's sin adam he dies for all of our trespasses collectively we have all sinned multiple thousands of times millions upon millions upon billions upon trillions upon trillions humanity's sins are vast that one trespass led to the floodgates open in massive amounts of sin and what jesus christ did on the cross is he doesn't just die for one he dies for all how much more how much more how much more it's a powerful thing. The second Adam is like the first, except in reverse and greater. What does the second Adam do? He reverses what the first Adam did. He reverses the curse. He reverses sin, the dominion of sin, the power of sin, the death. He reverses all of that and he brings life. And he even gives us, goes beyond just reversing it, he does even greater things. Because he gives you eternal life and transformation and his grace in your life all the time. Much, much more. If there's one term that I would love for you to kind of just take today, it's this idea of much more. You can either live under guilt and shame or you can choose to live under grace. 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 You know, we sing the song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Why do we call grace amazing? Because there's nothing on earth like it. The unmerited, unearned love of God poured out upon your life that is available to you all the time. And you don't have to live with guilt and shame. You can actually live with grace. Stories told of a church boss. You guys know any church bosses? Her name was Mildred. I changed the name because the name originally in the story was somebody in the church, so I figured I'd change it. Maybe there's a Mildred in the church that I don't know, but if you're here and you're a Mildred, forgive me. It's not you. But in this story, Mildred, she's known as the church boss. She's known As the church gossip she likes to talk about everybody's sin and she likes to make sure she keeps everybody straight if the Holy Spirit didn't show up Mildred showed up Mildred was just that kind of person nobody wanted to cross Mildred because we they knew that ultimately whatever whatever came across Mildred's death went to others Well one day Harry came to church. And Harry was brand new. And Harry was new in the church. And Harry started to come to church and Mildred got to know Harry. And during the week, Mildred was driving down the road and saw Harry's truck in front of the bar. And so that Sunday when he came to church, Mildred went up to him and says, You must be a drunk. I saw your, car, your truck sitting in front of the bar. You must be a drunk. You need to repent and turn away from that terrible alcohol. Harry looked at her and didn't say a word. Harry looked at others and didn't say a word. Harry just left. And that night, Harry took his truck and parked it in front of Mildred's house and walked away. <laughs> You know, grace filled people have a lot of grace for others. Grace filled people give people space for God to work in. Grace filled people who have been forgiven of much don't try to be everybody's conscience. You let God be God, let the Holy Spirit work. Grace filled people have joy and peace. People still living in the Adam's realm have law. They have judgment. They have guilt. They have shame. Now, I'm not saying that we as brothers and sisters in Christ shouldn't help each other who are caught in sin. Amen. But we do it with grace, not with condemnation. We do it with love. We don't do it with gossip. We don't do it with shaming somebody. We don't do it manipulation. We do it in a way that allows the grace of God to work through us and touch other lives. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Amen. You remember they took the woman and they dragged him in front of Jesus and said, We caught this woman in adultery. What did Jesus do? He bends over into the sand and starts drawing in the sand. Doesn't tell us what he was drawing, but the scripture says, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they started to walk away. And then they were all gone. And Jesus looked at the woman and said, where are those who condemned you? They are gone. Go. Sin no more. In other words, God brings grace grace much more grace how much more how much more he says that five times in the chapter five emphasizing that this the second Adam is so much better than the first how much more how does human being humanity come under grace Well, the scripture tells us, I think most of you know it in the room, you got to confess your sins. That grace is available. Living under the second Adam is available to all human beings. It is grace is irresistible. Grace is something you can push away. Grace is something you can decide not to receive. But grace is available to all of us. Even before you even knew about Christ, God's grace is working your life preveniently to draw you to himself, to bring you to the place where you recognize that you are a sinner. You have sinned and you need the grace of God, which is offered to you without merit. He says, I love you and I died for you. That's why Jesus says, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And and, and he that does not believe is condemned already. We we are born condemned. It's not like you, you become condemned. You are born that way. Because you are of Adam, Paul is trying to help us understand. So not only we are forgiven, but transformed. I love what he says here in verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned, remember death and sin there, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness Reign in life. Notice the connection here. Death reigned. Reigned in life. When Christ is in your life, how much more does the power of God help you to overcome sin than the death of Satan, the death of, of Adam, the death of human race, reign in your life prior to your salvation? Much greater. Much greater. So then he compares and contrasts the first Adam to the second. It's where it gets a little complicated. But I'm going to make it simple for you today. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass, condemnation for all men. (coughs) By the way, notice all the ones here. So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made sinners. This is classic parallelism in scripture. It's 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 a way of writing that was very common into that day. For us, it's complicated. But here's what Paul does. Adam... One trespass results in the condemnation of all humanity. Jesus, one act of righteousness results in the justification for all humanity is possible. Adam, one man's disobedience led to humanity being sinners. Jesus, one man's obedience led to all humanity made righteous, made righteous is possible. By the way, notice if you read the scripture, he doesn't talk about is possible. I'm adding that because Paul's already said that in other places. If you just read it in its in its without seeing it in context, you might get the assumption that Jesus Christ dies and all of humanity is instantly forgiven, instantly set free and instantly righteous. That it's universal. But what does the scripture says? You have to put your faith in it in order for that to happen in your life. Okay? So Paul, again, he gives one word he should have given us four. Should have given us more explanation. But you cannot, by the way, just a little bit here, you cannot interpret any one verse in and of itself without comparing that one verse to the totality of the rest of scripture. You can't take it out of context and you can't misapply it because Paul has already made the assumption of what he said there. All right. Last but not least, the law of God brings death, not life. Grace brings life. He goes on to say this. Remember, before the law was given, sin was in the world. Sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Then he says in the very end here, the law was added to that, to that, to the trespass might increase. So from Adam to Moses, there's no law. God says, oh, these, these, these human beings down there, they don't even realize that they are sinners. So what am I going to do? I'm going to reveal my law to them to help them recognize that they are sinners. So the law comes, and what does the law do? It increases our awareness that we are already sinners. It makes us know that we are sinners. It's like the little kid who is on a bicycle and he's, doing, he's, he's, driving, he's riding the bike and, he's, and he rides the same route every day delivering his newspapers. And he goes across the corner and instead of going around on the sidewalk, he cuts across somebody's lawn. Every day he cuts across the lawn to cut off the, the, the path and make it shorter. Every day he does that. He does it so often that there is a, there is a path being, being dug out across this guy's lawn. So what does the guy go out? One day he goes out and he says, puts a sign out there. It says, do not ride your bike on the lawn. That next morning that kid comes out. He's pedaling along. He turns to go across the guy's lawn. And there is the sign. The sign has made him aware that he shouldn't be cutting across the lawn. That's what the law does for us. You teach and train. The law actually brings death. It makes us aware of our sins so that we become aware of our need of a savior. Amen? So the law, it it increases, he says. But where sin increases grace increased all the there it is again you got a lot of sin guess what god's got even more grace you cannot out love god can out sin god nothing you can do can ultimately mean that now he goes on to say, now I'll just give you the final fill ins because some of you are filling in the blanks. Sin increased, grace increased all the more. Sin reigned in death, grace reigns in eternal life. Come, worship team. We're going to sing a closing song. Actually, no, we're not going to do that, guys. I'm too late. It's 947 and there's already the second service is already here in the back and they're looking at me like, what's he talking about? How come come he's still preaching? What's going on? The church service is going to be really long. It's holidays. i got to go out to a barbecue. I'm going to give you a little tidbit of next week. Catch this. This is the first verse of chapter 6. Here's what it says. What shall we say then? If sin increases grace increases all the more if sin brings death yet grace brings eternal life what shall we say then one of our conclusions could be well we may as well just keep on sinning let's just sin let's go have a good time let's go sleep around let's drink all we can let's swear and cuss why grace is so amazing and there's so much more That would be the conclusion, right? What shall we say then, he says? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You know what the answer is? Absolutely not. That's where we'll be next week. Because Paul moves from living justified lives to living sanctified holy lives. Amen. May the grace and peace be with you. Go and live in his grace today. But don't sin. God bless.